Hello everyone, welcome back to Sabbath School From Home. Uh, I'm pleased once more to be in this recording. My name's Cameron, I've not been here for some weeks and I haven't been in a position to do any organising or editing or even introducing of the episode. So um, it's good to be back. Oh, g'day. Um, good to have you back, Cam, and I'm Ken. I've also not been around for a little while, but it's great to be here in the discussion. And I'm Luke. And I'm Lachlan, and uh, I have been around, if you've been listening along, to, to quite a few of the, the, the episodes of this season. And what that means is that I've, I've really enjoyed stepping through the book of Ephesians. And I thought you were going to say you've really only... enjoyed having more opportunity to, to talk. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. There was one episode, uh, listeners may remember if they heard this one back in July, there was one episode where I didn't get any pushback on any of my points at all because I recorded it solo. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what I was what I was going to say is we've we've been tre- stepping through the book of Ephesians and we we get to read it to the end um, today. So yeah, so we've been aiming for this point. On the subject of pushback, I wasn't going to talk about this because it had slipped my mind, but I think we definitely should. Ken and I have had a discussion about slaves and masters. Ah, okay. Um, because we weren't here for that episode, and um, I listened to the episode. I enjoyed it a lot, and. Um, exactly what I thought about the issue changed about four times over the next four days. Mm. And um, I did think, though, that there was um, a way of looking at it, uh, which is which which wasn't so much aired in the discussion, which I find helpful. Yeah, well, you better share it with us now. I think that's, that's a good idea. Okay. Um, in the context of Ephesians, Paul is not saying anything about slaves and slavery in the abstract at all. So the context of Ephesians is about unity mm. and about equality. And Paul is fishing around for examples, some pretty extreme examples, fathers and children, um, Jews and Greeks, um, wives and husbands, slaves and masters. And the fact that these are held to be very unequal by society at large is is used as the contrast point for, you know, in contrast, in Jesus you know, you all are serving under one master. So it's it's tempting to... Um, I mean, we read the Bible as if it's a book on theology, and it's not. It's a letter to some people. Paul probably knew the particular slaves and particular masters that he was writing to. Mm. Um, so And they knew him. Um, so this is sort of like reading someone else's mail. And um, I don't... You know, I, this I've been absent from too many episodes to... Um, really have a, a grasp of exactly where the discussion has gone. But I know that we tend to treat Paul's letters as books on theology, um, sort of a, a summary at the abstract, broad scale level, which I guess he does a lot more of than, say, the Gospels do, mm. um, which are sort of much more simply narrative. Uh, but, yeah, I, my, when I read this, my gut feeling was um, after... This was not my gut feeling, actually. My gut feeling was to agree with you and Luke, and then the next day I thought... No, but just hang on. Why is slavery bad? Um, <laughs> it's only bad because people mistreat each other, and Paul is telling them not to mistreat each other. Um, is the sort of slavery he is advocating, if it were actually lived out, mm. is that? Then I thought of other things, and then I went round a sort of full circle. And after talking with Ken, and then I rang Luke up and chatted with him. Um, I thought, well, maybe we got the wrong end of the stick on this. Maybe the emphasis is not the slavery. The emphasis is on the dismantling of this power imbalance where Paul says, hey, you're all, you all have the same master. Mm. 
I think that's a helpful contribution. The the certainly seeing it in the pattern of contrasts, um, social constructs that take us away from unity, and Paul is calling us nevertheless, even amongst that sort of construct, to still strive for unity. And, um, and I, I, the, the other the other element of that that I think is uh, uh, worth observing is that um, Paul was speaking to people who were operating within a particular economic and social context. Um, and he was assuming that social context, um, uh, not um, promoting it necessarily, um, uh, not rallying against it either, but saying within this social context, this is how you should behave. Um, uh, now, we're not all called to be William Wilberforces. If we have the opportunity to be William Wilberforces and change those um, uh, uh, evil principalities and powers to rally against them and fight against them, um, uh, then by all means uh, uh, do that. But we are called to live within the world that we currently live in. Um, and that means that... Uh, there will be certain relationships that are capable of exploitation, um, but where Christians are involved, they ought not involve themselves in that exploitation where there are such relationships. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I see Paul as approaching this. He's not saying one way or the other um, uh, about slavery. And the other element is, we assume that sla the slavery that he is talking about is the slavery that we would picture uh, today. I'm not persuaded that that would necessarily be the case. It could well be that the master and slave is similar to the language that was used to describe the employment relationship of master and servant, um, uh, which is still the title of some textbooks from not so many decades ago on employment law. Mm. Um, uh, so, and, and in, in today's world, we could just as equally speak of the evils of employment. Um, well, we do. Uh, 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 and, <laughs> we do speak and, of the evils and, of employment quite a but, lot but that, but, recently. But that, do, but that doesn't mean that, uh, uh, that, that doesn't mean that employment necessarily mm. is an evil. Um, it means it is that, that employers are capable of exploiting employees and indeed employees are capable of exploiting employers. Mm. Um, uh, but within that employment relationship, uh, if you are a Christian, uh, then you ought, as the employee, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and as the employer... Um, treat your employees in the same way. Uh, so, yeah, I think there are all sorts of... Um... The issue the issue is, Ken, and this is what Luke and Locke pulled out, is that however much it seems fairly obvious that it ought not be used to defend slavery, it has in fact been ah. used to defend slavery. Well, you see, that's, that's a completely different issue, and that's mm. a misunderstanding mm. of the yeah. way that one ought read the Bible. That's are, you, a, are you saying, Ken, uh, that, that one can misunderstand the Bible? and cause terrible societal ills over hundreds of years <laughs> and untold misery and suffering as a result. 
<laughs> well, well I, I, look, if it's in the Bible, Luke, then I just do what's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well. But there's an interesting point here because Paul addresses this this attitude. He said, "I used to think that way because I'm, you know, you think you're a Jew. Well, I'm a Jew, and I'm the I'm a Pharisee, and I'm a, you know, and you know, I've got all these credentials. But compared with the excellence of knowing Jesus, these are rubbish. Mm. And you know, when he when Paul stands up and says, "There's no difference between the circumcised and uncircumcised," he's he's throwing out some pretty, um, for a Pharisee, central distinguishing features of the identity of God's people. Like it's 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 in the Bible in the that Paul was reading, and Paul just says, "Well, yes, but it's clear that what God was meaning was was this," and he he totally reinterprets it. Um, what this means is. Even if Paul did explicitly endorse slavery, if we were going to read his letters the same way he read the Old Testament, Paul himself would encourage us to question it and say, ah, but what's the real idea behind this? Because that's what he did with with his Bible. So even if Paul did explicitly endorse slavery, if we were going to be like him in our approach to Scripture, we would be very comfortable in saying, well, that part's not relevant in that way and the way it's written. Um, God, we don't think God actually operates in those um, institutions um, preferentially or endorses them. Mm. Can, can, there's one further aspect of the point that I was making that I just want to um, introduce, and, and that is this. Um, we can often use the, uh, uh, the big issues and the need for change on a systemic basis uh, to avoid the issue of how we live with the people close to us and connected to us. Um, And Paul is here explicitly or or explicitly bringing the focus back to how are you going to live with your neighbour? Mm. Um, not, uh, not addressing the issues of the cultural problems with exploitation, um, uh, not suggesting that they're not problems either, but bringing the focus back to the things that we can deal with and the things that we do have control over. Um, now, uh, if you're William Wilberforce and you've got the power to deal with those systemic issues and you're at the right time in history and the, the, and, and the circumstances are right for you to do that, by all means do that. Um, but don't let the existence of those problems distract you from how you must treat your employees, how you must treat your spouse, mm. um, how you must uh, live as a parent or a child um, and a friend and whatever else it might be. That's where the love that is co- we are called upon to exhibit and by which we will be known um, is to be principally lived. I think that's really helpful. As you've been discussing it, I've been reminded of a passage that was in the lesson some weeks ago 
on an episode that none of you were present for the recording of because I, I chose to do it just with my wife because it was the episode, the discussion on husbands and wives. And I thought it would be a, a fruitful way to add a bit of perspective. And I just want to read one little passage that I was very pleased to note in the lesson pamphlet. Um, I, I drew attention to it back when we did this episode. It just points out in the discussions about wives submitting and all of the things that husbands and wives are meant to do, it points out, it says, the passage presumes a loving, caring marriage, not an abusive one. And it actually quotes from Ellen White, which I, which I, uh, this passage is remarkably good. She writes, if the husband is a coarse, rough, boisterous, egotistical, harsh and overbearing man, let him never utter the word that the husband is the head of the wife and that she must submit to him in everything. For he is not the Lord. He is not the husband in the true significance of the term. And what you said, Ken, about imagining the scenario of slavery that is being that is in Paul's mind as he writes this, I think could potentially be labeled it the same way. When a slave here is advised by Paul to, um, you know, serve their master um, with respect. I think he might be imagining the best of those sort of relationships. And I don't think that this passage could possibly be justifiable if it were trying to say, you've got to, you've got to stay serving, um, re, what was it, with deep respect when the master is wildly abusive and, you know, all, all of the negative, the worst, most, mm. most extreme negative forms. Mm. Um, so I, I found that perspective, that comment that the lesson made in the context of wives and hu- wives and husbands, sheds some interesting and useful light on this on this discussion of slavery. Mm. Well, uh, we'll have to draw a line uh, under the. Oh, can, can, can we draw a line after Luke's comment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that that is all um, very relevant, also to the point I think that you made in our dis- midweek discussion, Cam, that. Paul is writing to a specific group of Greeks, hmm. some specific masters and specific slaves, probably in the same church, in the same community. And he is telling those specific people to treat each other this way. Um, hmm. I don't think that can be overstated, that, that hmm. Paul's letters are to, are to individuals. And yeah, there's a lot of debate and and research done into how the bible is read um that is well over my head but i do think that we that that sometimes you have to look at it and go that is specific to a time and place and person we shouldn't generalize it too much Mm. i wonder if i wonder if the slaves and the masters he's talking about are in the same house well i think that's i think that's very likely i think that's the inference yeah, the master becomes a Christian, the whole house becomes a Christian. Um, all right, well, then this is how the Christian masters and the Christian slaves are to are to treat each other. I mean, yeah. Okay, I said we'd have to draw a line, and we do because I'm looking at the clock. Um, the next two uh, episodes are on the same passage, uh, which is the passage, the final passage of Ephesians. Um, and in the first of these episodes, we're going to be looking at the sort of uh, image that's borrowed, the military warlike the Christian life is a life of fighting hmm. um, and striving. And then uh, in the next episode, we're going to take a different perspective on the same text. But should we just read through this, um, taking a, a couple of verses each from verse 10 of chapter 6? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And then uh, it finishes with the closing passage but we might leave it uh yeah leave it there um uh this is a much quoted and sermonized uh, part of ephesians i have an interesting anecdote about this part of ephesians and it actually does connect with the discussion we've just had about the idea of slaves because as you say cam this passage is much sermonized often quoted it is used in children's sabbath school crafts coloring in the different Pieces of I've armor. had a set of this armor. Yes, made exactly. out of cardboard. Yeah. But, and this is the crux of our question for today, how comfortable are we with military imagery being used as the analogy for the Christian life? Let me share my story. I was in Germany, in a cyber school, in, in a church in Germany when I lived there, and one of my German friends was very upset about this passage. And she said, this is just not okay. Her, re- her reaction to the military armor, um, weaponry kind of language here was that it just was wildly out of place, as out of place as a biblical apostle writing about slavery. And I thought to myself, I've never quite seen it like that. And she, she went on to explain, because this was not that long after one of the royal weddings. It might have been that she was referring back to, to uh, Prince William's wedding. And she said how, how upset she had been that he wore a military uniform to his wedding. She said, in her words, she couldn't think of anything more distant from the theme of a wedding. And I found myself thinking, well, that's a fascinating one. I've never stopped to think of it like that. So yeah, this is... Who, who does need a sword? This is my question. Well, getting married I, can, I, can I posit an answer? Because I've got, I've got, I've got one that I was going to raise anyway before the story, but it's even more relevant after the story. So, um, and this is a reference that isn't going to mean anything even to Cam or Ken, much less anybody listening. But look, you, you remember that audio book that we listened to on the way down to Jindabyne recently yeah. about about <laughs> Johannes Kepler and the use yeah. of analogies to to develop understanding. Yeah. It occurs to me that Paul uses a lot of analogies. In Ephesians, and which right. is the husband and wife, the slave and master, the 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 
the military terminology here mm. is being I mean this is going to be immediately understandable to an audience but he's not saying these are literal weapons obviously I mean, that's clear mm. even in the text so yeah. couldn't this be seen as a subversion yeah. of of militarization <laughs> as as opposed as opposed to an endorsement of of military attitudes because none of these things are actual I mean faith is not not, sorry, the spirit is not a weapon that you can use. Mm. It's not a sword that you can hurt someone with. Yeah. You can only yeah. help someone with the sword of the spirit. And it's the gospel of, interestingly, notwithstanding the military analogy, it's the gospel of peace. Yes, and we're going to need to come back to that uh, in our next episode. So, and, so and... That, that, I mean, that that's what occurs to me is, I mean, this is, he's he's under arrest by the Roman em- Empire. Mm. And he, I, I feel like it's almost a deliberate subversion. Yeah. To use this imagery, but also writing in a way that is going to be readily understood. The metaphor is easy for anybody in that cultural context to understand. All the Greeks know what a breastplate and a sword mm. and a shield and a helmet and sandals and belts. I, in my house at the moment, we're heavily into time team. Are you into time team, Lot? Yeah, I, I um, have watched, Tony I've watched many episodes. It's an absolutely fantastic thing. Yeah, tearing around England, digging stuff up, and yeah. um, archaeology. You know, every yes. now, yeah. clarify yeah, that it's archaeology. Camp. Tearing around England, digging <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah. up could be misconstrued. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, basically, I'm sure this is not a correct impression because they only dig up likely spots and with the aid of all sorts of fancy technical equipment to take radars. But it seems from watching Time Team that you turn to put a shovel in anywhere in England, and it's you find a Roman coin and a stone age pot on a shard of stained glass or something all in the one piece of dirt but it is amazing and sometimes they uncover weaponry mm. um and uh, have historic uh, it, they're not historic reenactors they are experimental archaeologists <laughs> um which i think is a delightful idea i think that's super cool we're not sure how the people at this time solved this problem so we will only allow ourselves to use the tools they had and we will try and solve yeah. it um and then you you learn by just doing. I think it's a beautiful idea. But you know, it, it's very evocative when you see, um, you know, the Roman soldiers mm. walking by. Um, you know, even the concept of a uniform for an army would not have been a... You know, the Romans had some degree of similarity. Of, they had standard issue yeah. breastplates and swords and shields and whatever else. And... You know, it would have been the, I don't know, it would have been to the Romans and I guess to their enemies, the picture of a highly structured, highly organised, highly civilised army, as it were. Um, it's, this is the opposite of a rabble. Mm. This is this is something where things are designed and tested and produced and work to a purpose. And um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm not sure what... I guess, like, to access the discomfort that your German friend had, all you'd have to do is is um put this into different I was about to have a go at, you know, the, I was about to have a go at reading it. I feel like we romanticize the sniper yeah, rifle of the spirit. I think we romanticize medieval military feats, tools okay. and structures. Yeah, yeah. If you as soon as you start um you know putting on the AK forty seven of truth, then it suddenly has it has a very different feel, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Calling the Apache. Yeah. Yeah. The Apache of faith, yeah, yeah. Ken. The, the Apache, Apache of helicopter faith. of faith. <laughs> the the sandbags of of truth. The... 
yeah, I, I think that does help us access the discomfort. Let me read a quote from the lesson, because this is the, I guess, I guess what we're grappling with here is, are these weapons to be used offensively or defensively? Here's a quote to get us a bit wound up. Um, Our work is an aggressive one. And as faithful soldiers of Jesus, we must bear the blood-stained banner into the very strongholds of the enemy. And it goes on and it goes on. That's actually, uh, if I'm reading correctly, that's a that's a quote from something Ellen White wrote in 1880s. So, I mean, that's 150 years separate from us culturally as well. But what do you think about that? Um, our work is an aggressive one. Yeah, well, okay, let's... There's six items mentioned there, and five of them are for defensive purposes, and one is. A- <laughs> I, I had the same thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think Locke, you would have to moderate things a little bit. Was Ellen White herself known for being aggressive? Did she growl at visitors that came in the door, or you know, hit them with saucepans or something? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, the accounts. The accounts I've heard suggest she she really quite enjoyed helping people. So um, one would have to think, I mean, okay, so I think uh, I'm glad that you found something to wind us up, Block, because we we need help being wound up in this podcast. But um, (laughs) I don't think think we're encouraged towards aggression. But if that's not the case, what word would we substitute? What do we think... What do we think is the essential idea? Mm. Well, okay, can can, can is... I try and can I try and answer that question? Yeah. Because I think yeah. two two things to keep in mind. Um, one which we just said about the slaves, which is Paul is writing to a specific group of people. This metaphor is intended for them. If we find the imagery upsetting, maybe that's simply because it's not for us. We can readily understand the metaphor and we could just as easily reapply it rather than picking modern weapons and armor. We could just as easily reapply it to say firefighting. Yes. We could put all the gear of the firefighter and the last one is the is the high-powered water hose of of the spirit, right? Mm. Um it's very easy just as it is easy to make this metaphor less acceptable to us. It's very easy mm. to make the metaphor more acceptable which suggests to me that the meaning of the metaphor we understand, even if the language is unacceptable. Yeah. Right? So I wouldn't really get very hung up on that. But the other thing I would not, in terms of are we supposed to be aggressive or offensive or defensive, weapons can only be used for attack. That is what that is the definition of a weapon. Hmm. Weapons are for attacking. But we are obviously not talking about a physical battle. And we're obviously not talking about hurting people. Yeah. So if we're attacking, we're not attacking people with the aim of hurting them. The fight is with something else. And the aggression yes. is directed against something else. And both both Ellen White's yeah. passage, which I truncated, and this, this Bible passage in verse 12 makes that really clear. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. But it's it's evil rulers, unseen worlds, mighty powers, dark spirits. It's, so, it's so clearly... Given, given that we know all that, why is there any issue with aggression or offense in the first place it's a good point it's a good point and it's one that's also borne out um when you look at uh jesus speaking to uh peter um uh in matthew chapter 16 uh where he was predicting his death and peter took him aside in verse 22 and said uh, and began to rebuke him never lord this shall never happen to you he's saying he's going to suffer many things at the hands of the priests Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Um, 
so that's that's uh, what he first says to um, Peter. Um, but then in having, oh, sorry, that's what he second says to Peter. What he says to Peter immediately before that is this. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, we often read that to say, well, you know, the uh, the attack of the devil won't be able to overcome uh, Peter because he's a rock, mm. he's solid. But if you think about it, that just doesn't make any sense because <laughs> who comes to attack with the gates of their cities? You don't use the gates of your cities to attack. Yeah. You are using the gates of your cities to defend against an attack. So mm. when Jesus says to Peter that the gates of Hades will not overcome the rock that you yeah. are, and one thinks of the um, you know the battlements and the and and the what are those flinging yeah. things you know the, the yeah the, the trebuchets the, and that sort of thing um, the catapults uh, all of that this is this Maybe is actually a statement saying Peter you will be attacking the gates of Hades yeah. and they won't be able to stop you. Um, that's that's uh, really interesting. One of the one of the other issues is though um, that much as we find the language of fighting sort of distasteful in the abstract, there are times of personal strife where it feels like we are fighting. Yep. And and the other element of that in this passage is we are fighting for our lives, um, even if one doesn't take it in an aggressive sense. We are fighting for our lives in the sense that. We are standing firm. Um, yeah. No, I'm glad that you. I'm glad you drew attention to that because that actually was the title of this week's lesson. I called to stand. Um, the lesson at one point did suggest that we just pay attention to how many times the verb stand is used. Um, stand firm in verse 11 against the all strategies of the devil. Uh, standing firm in verse 13. Stand your ground in verse 14. Um, it's it's clearly. Um, very, very much of an emphasis. And I, I, it, it made me wonder whether the word aggression, which has put us a bit on edge, might be better read as the word assertive. Our, our mission is to be assertive, to stand, to, 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 to know truth and to proclaim truth and to seek God's kingdom in an assertive and clear, not a confused, not a wishy-washy, not a roll down and, you know, fall over and be knocked around kind of way. There's a clearness to our, a clarity um, to, the, to the Christian yeah, it's calling. it's not watered down. Yeah, there are two, there are, there, there's, I, want to, I want to say three other things on this passage. <laughs> uh, the, 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 first, the first is, uh, perhaps it is uh, a show of force more in the form of a United Nations peacekeeping mission than it is... Uh, in mm. the form of an invasion. Um, uh, so that's the, the first point. Um, uh, the second point is that, um, and related to that, perhaps a more uh, a modern day uh, analogy might be something more like a the accoutrements that a police officer would wear. Now, I have to say I have some difficulties with the way that the police force tends to become more have an appearance, a more militaristic appearance uh, in our modern world. I already gave us the firefighting one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, the firefighting one's probably easier. Um, But uh, so so maybe it is something more more like a... Because you have to remember that 
the Romans uh, military was also a police force. Mm. Um, it wasn't just uh, the conquering invading force. It was the keeping the Roman peace, the Pax mm. Romana. Um, uh, so it was, it was used in that context, and you see it being used in that way all throughout the Book of Acts. Uh, so these are, uh, it was perhaps more in a, uh, a police role that we are being called on to look at this in the same way that you know, a police officer is a common. Um, uh, all I can hear, of, all I can hear, is the word criminal. A police uh, officer is a common criminal. I thought he said con man. <laughs> is a common part of our of our of our culture the, the other the third the third thing that I, that I was going to say was um, I, I once um, did a sermon on this passage um, and I completely changed the analogy and I have to say it's the only sermon that now decades after I took the sermon that there are people who still remember uh, uh-huh. what what I actually did. Uh, I'm not sure that they remember the point of the sermon. Indeed, I'm not sure that I even remember the point of the sermon uh, as I took it. But um, I was, uh, at the time, uh, I used to do Bike for Bibles. We'd ride around Tasmania uh, for you know a week or more and do around 1,200 Ks. I was much lighter then than I am now uh, and fitter. Um, uh, I look back on those days with great fondness. But um, uh, I actually... Dressed up in my, some people will be offended by this. So if this is a vision that you don't want to think, then just pause now. <laughs> um, yeah, I dressed up in my cycling nicks and top and my helmet and my gloves and brought my bike out and um, and we talked about. I don't. I can't remember exactly how even I did it. Uh, you know, but we talked about all these various parts: the the saddle of this and the helmet of that and the um, uh, and the and the gloves of this and the shoes of that and. Um, mm. uh, so, you know, there are all sorts of other ways that, that one can approach the passage, um, uh, the sort of points that Paul was making without the militaristic, um, uh, force, perhaps. Uh, anyway, as I say, that's the only, the only sermon that I've ever preached where decades later people remember it and raise it with me. That's, uh, that's what you get for wearing lycra at the pulpit, Ken. <laughs> yes, I, th- I think it probably is. Um, uh, it's something that I wouldn't dare contemplate risking so long now. As, you, um, as long as you were wearing a tie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. Do you know, See, do you know what uh, I... To, to, to my, oh, sorry, you go, Lock. No, I was just going to suggest, I think we've got more to say about this passage, but I think we should do, we should finish it in next week's episode. So uh, we probably need to uh, wrap this one up soon. But No, I've got, I've got, I, okay, I've got a wrapping up thought. Um, but Luke, you oh, might I'll, have All a I was going to say was uh, just, uh, I really want to emphasize the point again, the fact that that you could so successfully change the metaphor and everyone understands it suggests mm. that the militaristic language is not the important part of the passage. And we are, yeah. we are free. If, if we troubles us, we're free to get rid of it. You know, Paul, Paul was writing to a Greek community of early Christians 2000 years ago. He had no way of knowing how troubling that language would be for somebody mm. in post-World War II Germany. Yes. Yeah. Okay. My comment on aggression. Um, Remember when Jesus does the parable of the dishonest steward and and he says, look, if only people who are good were as clever at being good as people who are bad are at being bad. Mm. You know, there's a there's a level of um, engagement with the task that 
you know, the, you know, the there's the thieves around the table. There's a Monty Python sketch where there's these people planning a heist, and you're going to come here, and then you'll switch him there, and then you'll give me the ten bob here, and then we'll go, and then they will go into the store, and then you, James, you, James, will pick up the watch and take it to the cashier, and John, you pay for it with this money, <laughs> and it emerges that it emerges they're putting a detailed plan together for just purchasing a watch. They're not even going to steal it. They're just going to they're just going to buy it. But um, so you know the people who are doing wrong, the people people who are doing wrong um, put so much thought and attention and care and passion and, mm. and you know such a level of deliberate and Jesus says you know funny people who are who are good could be like that. So if if you think about then the qualities of someone who's aggressive, they're absorbed in the task, mm. um, it consumes them. Um, their personal safety is less important. There's, imagine if, if you said to someone, and I think this is what Ellen White was getting to when she was saying ours is an aggressive task. I think she means as opposed to half-hearted. Yeah, yeah. Look, here's, right. here's some um, other words you could use: committed, passionate, dedicated, yeah. disciplined, disciplined, yeah. consistent, yeah. focused, uh, indefatigable. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, without regard to personal safety, someone who's mm. who's really angry about something will act. Yeah. You know, so, um, so there are still elements even of the word aggressive that that um, some connotations that are helpful. Um, the last thing was as a wrap up to this episode and a segue to the next one. Um, this is not a passage in isolation. Yes. This is a passage um, that is the summary of a book. How are we then to employ this military... Okay, let's take the military metaphor for as it's written, or these shields and swords. In practice, what is it? How do you actually wield the sword and how do you use the shield? And oh, I'll tell you how you do it. You do it by being loving mm. and giving mm. towards your wife. You do it by being um, honest to your master. Yeah. You do it by... Um, not being overbearing to your children, yeah. being you inclusive by, of the Gentiles, and, and of by being inclusive of the Gentiles. That's in the context of the book. Mm. That's what this armor of God has to mean. It's it's a summary to all those points. So Paul obviously saw it in 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 that light, uh, and that's clear from the very from the very start of the passage. Uh, take your stand against the devil's schemes, mm. and the devil's schemes are to disrupt those relationships. Uh, the devil's schemes are to create division, uh, to uh, um, create exclusivity, um, to destroy relationships, um, to promote greed. Um, uh, the principalities and the powers would include mammon. Um, and uh, that's, the, uh, that's what we are taking our stand against, not against other people yeah so uh, maybe we're being called to be aggressively honest or aggressively um fair and aggressively caring uh yeah yeah anyway we'll draw a line there thank you um to our listeners for tuning into this episode next episode we're going to look at this same passage again and we are going to sort of segue into into um some of the sort of more uh what i think Paul's intention behind the passage and what he's trying to sum up. So um, join us again next week. Uh, feel free to share this episode with uh, any friends you have or indeed with any enemies that you have. And um, 
yeah, we look uh, forward to recording a, another episode on this. It's a very fruitful passage.